HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box, a hospitality platform that empowers restaurants to own their presence, profits, and relationships directly through their website. Opening soon listeners save 40% on the setup fee at getbento.com slash opening soon. That is G-E-T-B-E-N-T-O dot com forward slash opening soon. This week on a special bonus episode of Meat in 3, we find out why the bacon, egg, and cheese, that classic bodega sandwich, is popping up on menus of New York's trendiest restaurants. We did a few iterations of it, and I was trying to fancify it. We tried the sausage, egg, and cheese, and then we tried to put charmoula sauce on it. We used feta cheese, and we're just like taking ingredients of the Mediterranean, if you will, and try to infuse it. But uh, for me, it was like a car wreck. Tune in to hear about the wild journey of the bacon, egg, and cheese, from deli to fine dining, on Meat in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Opening Soon on Heritage Radio Network. I am your host, Jenny Goodman. And I'm Alex McQuarrie. And if you're just tuning in to Opening Soon, we are a weekly show that walks you through all the steps, the good, the bad, the ugly of opening a restaurant with some of the world's greatest chefs and restaurateurs and vendors that help take your idea to Opening Soon. And if you don't know who we are already, then um, where have you been living, first of all? And second of all, we're failed restaurateurs, and that's kind of why we're here. Uh, the other part of why we're here is that we're successful workwear makers, and we have a lot of friends and, and, and know some people in the industry that have done it much better than we did, and they're able to share uh, their lessons on what worked, what didn't, and uh, why they're now still running the restaurant, as opposed to us. <laughs> as opposed to us, who are um, toiling away in clothes. Yes. If, um, so today we're talking about breaking the mold and the risks and advantages that go along with doing something that's a little bit against the grain in your particular market. And so we're super excited today to have our friend and awesome chef, Mason Hereford from Turkey and the Wolf in New Orleans, and also Molly's welcome. Rise and Shine, his latest venture. So welcome to New York, and thanks for coming. Um, if you don't know, Mason opened Turkey and the Wolf, um, which was dubbed a quirky sandwich shop, not by us, but um, <laughs> by some people in the, in Do the like press. Do you or? like that title or no? I like it all. You like yeah. it all. I like it. Um, it's in New Orleans, Louisiana, the Irish Channel, and it, Turkey was named one of Bon Appetit's, actually it was named Number the one, best right? restaurant, numero uno, in 2017 by Bon Appetit magazine. Um, and there have been basically lines out the door ever since. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> not necessarily true. Uh, all right. Not <laughs> always, always true. There can always be more people. There always can be more people. Well, I got plenty to say on okay. that topic. All right. We can talk <laughs> about that too. But Mason injects a ton of his personality and, and passion into everything he does. And it's definitely paid off in spades. So we're super excited to have you here and, and chat. Well, thanks for saying those nice things. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, can I say fuck? Yeah, yeah. we, we can curse. Right. This is uh, not regulated I'm glad by... i you asked on, on air. <laughs> on air. Uh, <laughs> Ten minutes ago before we started. I know, our engineer we would have been pissed. We talked about before. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Couldn't slip that one in. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, thanks for having me, dudes. Yeah. yeah. 
We're excited. So tell us, yeah, so you definitely, you know, for people who are familiar and people who are not familiar with the dining scene in New Orleans, it's definitely evolved a lot over the past 10 years. But, you know, a lo- the historically, it's been very, like, storied, very, like, traditional. The sandwich shops were po'boys. So you come along with this idea that's very different and open it in New Orleans in a very traditional place. Like, tell me, was that scary? Was it, like, what was the perception? Uh, yeah, I guess I didn't really ever think about it as, um, you know, going against a one-way or kind of, like, yeah. anything that was that crazy. It, you know, when you open a restaurant, you're going to, like, play your strengths. And I thought that that was, regardless of where I was, um, a sandwich shop was something that I wanted to do. And I learned how to cook in New Orleans. Like, I never cooked before there. So I didn't, like, um, you know, come into New Orleans and open a restaurant. So everything I'd sort of learned along the way was in a New Orleans sensibility. So I kind of was just doing what felt right. Hmm. So I didn't feel like I was, um, you know, I don't know, being that wild by opening a sandwich shop. Um, but it is true. There are lots of po'boys and we have like muffaladas and yeah. those types of things. And there was um, a pretty obvious, um, you know, need for a sandwich shop in my opinion. There, I mean, there was an obvious, yeah. Cause there basically, there's like a lot of fine dining and and then like it's like your deli or your po'boy shop or whatever and there isn't a lot in between in New Orleans or there wasn't you know when... did you get people in the early days that came in and said where's the shrimp po'boy and where's the <laughs> um, you know well we opened uh, up in an old barbecue joint so a lot of people would be like oh, we where's the, the barbecue, barbecue? <laughs> <laughs> these sandwiches sound weird you kind of seem like a who the hell are you guys uh, yeah and before that, it was a chicken wing joint, so occasionally you get people coming in for chicken wings. <laughs> and then there was a still, uh, there still is a soul food joint that's like two blocks down, so people come in asking for that. We definitely, <laughs> out of our first like 500 customers, definitely half of them were like, what the fuck? Why, <laughs> why, why am I here? Why why'd you here? get rid of the good stuff and bring in these like, <laughs> like a lot of like hipster sandwiches or like. Ten dollars for a sandwich—that's crazy. Right. In New York, you're like, no, that's pretty, you're like, that's wow, good. good deal, yeah. But uh, we got the overpriced thing constantly at the beginning, but it would, it's costed out. It's you know, thirty-two percent of our. So How did you, did cost you of goods or change prices? Did you explain uh, that? Like, what do you? We we just kind of went with the flow, rolled with the punches at the beginning. I mean, we were all of our friends were really nice, and everyone. I mean, it was a well-received restaurant, but definitely. I guess you really only read the bad things online about your business. It's just a masochistic thing we all do yeah. as restaurant owners or business owners. Yeah. And um, so at the beginning, it was we had a lot of really good things going, but I just wasn't used to reading about myself. Right. So I just remember when people were saying, hey, those sandwiches are overpriced. They sound hipster. Like, who puts coleslaw on this or that? Uh, <laughs> Wait, I don't remember way, people being like, hey, how neat, you know? Yeah. Right. So I'm sure there was plenty of um, the positive stuff. But, don't you yeah. also like own the domain for like overpriced hipster sandwiches? Uh, shitty, uh, <laughs> yeah. shitty overpriced sandwiches.com redirects to Turkey and the Wolf. Nice. And uh, for the breakfast restaurant, hipsters do breakfast. <laughs> hipsters do. I um, love it. The whole hipster thing, man. It's just like it's a, it's a, only used as a derogatory term. It's yeah. like only used to define people that. Uh, you want to, you know, make fun of or whatever. But every time somebody calls somebody else a hipster, it sounds like they're talking about someone who's, like, doing something interesting that that other person thinks is, like, lame or something. But honestly, a lot of times you follow that word around, you're going to find someone who's doing something that they like and that's neat or different or new or creative. It's not, So it's like, uh, I don't know. The term it's double-edged sword, it's I guess. It's always upsetting to hear it, but you're also like, oh, come on, man. I think it's a little easier here. I, I, I would, I'm from New Orleans. Jenny went to Tulane, so we, we know New Orleans pretty well. Um, and the, and the, um, the culture that doesn't necessarily love to change quickly. So I, I think it's easier here in Brooklyn. I mean, we are sitting in Roberta's, which is like hipster mecca. Like if you work as a server in You the kitchen, have like made it with your you style game. Yeah, top level of hipsters that exist. <laughs> I respect so. this joint. Like, and there's so nothing wrong much. with it. No, and we're saying this that with like a lot a, of no, love. No, I agree. I, I'm, not, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to like agree. That yeah. That is, yeah, you... you if you use words like hipster to describe Roberta's, hipster, <laughs> hipster means really fucking it's cool. awesome. Yeah, yeah exactly. Cool. You're doing something interesting. But I guess in New Orleans, that was like a challenging thing to sort of, to sort of sell. Like, how did you communicate that story to like? Um, <clears throat> I don't know. Like the story of 
doing something that people would call hipster or no, whatever. just like the story of doing like different sandwiches that were like not you know what. Yeah, people... I think that the the story that I always tell and want to talk about is more um, what who we gathered and how we got the right people in the right room. And I think we could have gone in a lot of different directions. Like we're the sandwich people now. Turkey and the Wolf's the sandwich yeah. shop, but it's all you know. Fine dining veterans or ex, you know, people that left the industry for sort of something that was a little bit more about quality of life and a little bit less about uh, upward mobility in, um, you know, the restaurant world. And those people had so much talent, and as a team, we I guess had so much talent that it didn't have to be sandwiches. Right. There is a story of why we did sandwiches, and I'll, yeah, I'll, we can happily talk all about it. But the whole thing is that we got the right people in a room and we all worked together and then people noticed and we got way overrated but it was also <laughs> you know the story's about like how much fun we have as a group and if you have fun as a group you can accomplish a lot more than just creativity or technique or right um but that is also kind of against you know against the grain and outside the norm you know for new orleans not just on the menu but for the way that people the way that people cook and the way that people look at their career i know you know yeah from first-hand experience that the it, it's the climb to get to the fanciest restaurant New Orleans has lots of them com- there. competitive it's yeah. like that's um, what I don't like right, so right. I don't again it doesn't have to be about competition it can be about and I think that the restaurant industry is making those changes and I think uh, like food media is definitely following those stories you read a lot more about chefs and restaurants trying to fix the industry or what the problems are be it you know the quality of life of your employees or, you know, uh, yeah, whatever. Um, but I'm reading more and more of those stories, and I think that's going to be the new story. Um, I, I got issues with people that – I don't have issues with people, but <laughs> I have issues with the idea that, like, some food trends are, are so important that they're more important than your staff. Right. So let's say you're being you're trying to be hyper local and that's an amazing thing and I completely agree with the idea of making the world better environmentally but like also think that if you are going so far out of your way to have the pig raised like two blocks from your house and have a name and a hobby and all these <laughs> things um, and you're paying extra and you're working so hard and you're telling everyone and you're advertising that and using that as a tool to market your restaurant and be a great restaurant and you're trying to save the world but you're like some some of those not I don't know any I'm not going to like use an example but sometimes those there's employees at those restaurants that are terrified and are overworked right. and all those right. things and I think if you're going to save the world you start with your your fucking staff start with or your to people do, yeah or to do yeah. that you have to have like 10 stages working for free to be able to right. pull yeah it off. and it's, it, like, it's just um some of the, the greatest chefs that have changed the industry uh, and the way we eat and started the trends that we all follow, um, some of those people are incredible people that are amazing their staff, and I think there's a few of them that are like really scary and not fun to work for. And that, um, you know, at that point, I don't care if your food's local. Right. Or I don't care if you're, you know, lacto-fermenting or whatever you're doing. <laughs> If the people aren't at least like treated okay, you know, you don't have to be the best boss in the world, and I'm definitely not trying to talk about myself here. But like, just being a an okay boss, I think is, in my opinion, it's more important than local food. Yeah, I think this has come up a lot this season about just like being a nice person, and like nobody wants to work for anybody who's an asshole anymore. Where that used to be like and that the, used yeah, to be the norm. Different things to aspire to in career rather than just the next starred restaurant. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that it, it sounds like that's where you that's the place where you started your your business and your thought was like, we're just going to have a, be a bunch of people who are having fun. And it's not going to be about like getting the next title. Was, yeah. And it's um, we don't we we didn't know about titles and stuff when we started yeah. um, naively. Now, you know, opening a second restaurant, we're like hungry to make sure that we do recognize that the right person comes in because we see how much it can improve your business. Like, right. Change. Getting accolade an accolade or two changed our ability to succeed greatly. Um, so now we know. But um, wait, where was it going with that? I don't know. I don't know. No, I mean, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you guys. When did you open Turkey and the Wolf? Um, a little over three years ago. And was it like immediately? Did it immediately catch on? Um, the first two weeks were. 
the first month was the busiest month we had our first year open. Mm-hmm. So New Orleans, what's really wonderful about New Orleans is as a whole, the people that live in New Orleans will give every new restaurant a shot. Right. Yeah. When a new restaurant opens, New Orleans shows up. And uh, that's really cool. You don't get that everywhere. And I don't think you get it to the extent that you do in, in New Orleans. Um, so they showed up. Like, we, it took us so long to open, so we can talk about that, um, that we were coming soon. We were in, like, the eater. Hey, th- these are the ten restaurants that are coming soon this season. Like, every season for a whole year. <laughs> so that's like, kind of, that's a good uh, that's, tip for, for young entrepreneurs. Is like, just get that word out immediately. Get, yeah. yeah, I mean, it just, just depends. Keep dragging the opening. Uh, it paying depends. Rents, but. It, it, I understand why you would and why you wouldn't. <laughs> opening a restaurant is the most terrifying thing in the world, so you want to be super ready. And sometimes... Sometimes it's key to undersell, over-deliver. Sometimes right. it's key to get the word out. It what made depends. you take a year longer than expected? Oh, I didn't know how to open a restaurant. It takes a long time. Right. What didn't you know? Like, what were the things that you just were totally novice and there was just stuff that kept coming up? I you should have had our show. I mean, then you would have been Yeah, I didn't have... Um, it's really scary and it's really not that as hard as you think. But the fear of the unknown is incredibly daunting, and it holds you back a lot the first time you open a restaurant. Well, there's a lot of risk in the finances that go into it, regardless. Well, the of way how the bank is, talks right? talks with these words that you don't understand. The way a contractor sort of you don't realize that a contractor doesn't rule your fucking life, and that you can actually communicate. Yeah. And you're just ever you just do what everyone says, and if you do what everyone says you're on their schedule and everything just takes longer. Right. Everything's negotiation. I mean, I think you have to own your own destiny and I think and you're scared to do it if you don't know that. Yeah, for sure. And it's hard to have confidence when you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Yeah, for and sure. just a little bit of confidence, not like in the way you assert yourself, but just knowing how to answer questions changes the whole process. The second round was just infinitely easier on like so much less stressful with so Molly's anxiety yeah. Yeah, to, to figure out how to get it done. Did you get Molly's open faster than, than Turkey? You mm-hmm. did. Uh, yeah. From build out to opening three months. Whoa. Wow. That's uh, and we, fast. We had, well, so we only had six months to open because of the way we're zoned. Um, we're a temporary restaurant for the last 60 years, and we're not zoned commercial. Come on. Yeah, it's, it's Timber- I love New Orleans. Uh, so um, it means if a restaurant closes, you have six months, and after six months, it goes, it reverts back to its non-temporary zoning of residential. Um, but so, it's a ground floor space. Like, Hey, well, this is a huge, that's a huge one. We, we, that's we, a we don't have that time for that can of worms. Nobody wants, <laughs> nobody wants to hear me talk about that. I mean, it's like super, super silly in my opinion. Um, but, um, so it took me three years, uh, three, half the time we had six months to get open or we couldn't be a restaurant oh and God. I already signed the lease. So I didn't want to rent like a really expensive apartment. Corner, big kitchen. Um, so we had six months, but for some reason it took three months to like shake the permit loose from city hall. And so we really only had three months and our contractor like crushed it and we opened on the last day. Amazing. Cool. That is pretty epic. It was. It would have been a real big problem if we didn't. You and know? how did you get? So, like being a first time restaurateur, a lot of a lot of what we talk about, and a lot of like the direct messages and the questions we get is about like how do you finance? How do you finance? Especially like being a chef working in a restaurant where maybe you're not getting paid a ton of money and like maybe not having a ton of access to capital. What did What did you guys do? What's your story? It's very very hard. It's yeah. the hardest thing ever. And honestly. The the easiest answer is just find someone that has money because the bank is very, very hard to deal with if you don't have something they can take away from you in the form of collateral. Right. So I worked with maybe like six or seven loan officers, six or seven lending. This is for Turkey and the Wolf. Operations for Turkey and the Wolf. uh, Asking for different amounts of money based on um, a business plan. And I got denied. All of them got denied. The last one got denied on opening day of turkey and the wolf and i like had a meltdown i'm i'm like a <laughs> 30 year old kid in my opinion yelling at this like 70 year old banker and i'm I like can't don't it. ever put someone in this position this hurts man this is really <laughs> this is really unfortunate for me because i gotta open my restaurant today and I, this i have a lot of emotions and like i really feel like i was treated unfairly and you were just looking for your commission and this is bogus 
And like, but it was worse. I was like saying "fuck you" and stuff. Um, How but, did you get to that point on credit so, or on the way that I started? And it was really helpful, and I'm glad I did it this way. Is I try to figure out how am I going to get a loan, and I went to this Louisiana Small Business Development Center, and <clears throat> basically they help people figure out how to write a business plan. You guys, you always hear about business plans. It's like another one of those things where you're like, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> like, why do people say like when the first when some the first time someone says, Hey, you need to write a business plan to get a loan when you're trying to start a restaurant, like anxiety just takes over your body. You're like, I don't. <laughs> I, that seems like such an obvious thing to not, you know, how do I not know this? I, can I can I actually open a restaurant? Am I good enough? Like all the self-doubt just like cripples you the moment you hear a business plan for the first time in your life. Uh, and man, all my friends, all they heard about for like how the couple months that it took me to write it, it's my business plan. So much so that my buddy who draws a lot of the doodles at uh, Turkey and the Wolf like in the bathroom and stuff, like drew a picture of me like working on my business plan. And we all, and he presented it over drinks and everybody got a good laugh. Um, so yeah, we started at the Louisiana Small Business Development Center, and <clears throat> they walk you through everything um, and how to write a business plan, and um, in such a way that it is attractive to a you know a lender or a bank. And this was all like free. This was all free. Uh, you have to take one of their seminars in order. You kind of, they make you do like a two-hour seminar to sort of prove that you are um, you're actually interested. You're not just like some random. You're not just fucking fat, off. Yeah. yeah. Fast track to like quit their job and find something new. I had already found my location and signed the lease. So the, before what the, you had the business plan. Uh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Would you recommend this? Uh... <laughs> Perhaps not the correct to order everyone. of operations here. Um, so I, we did that too, and it, it didn't work like out for us, yeah. but it worked out better what for me cool, than it did for Alex and I. Yeah, well, in the end, I, I didn't get the money. I'll tell you where I did. But uh, they were like, you already signed a lease? Yeah. Bro? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> the bank. You know, I have, uh, you know, I don't start paying. Like, in my lease, it, uh, there was a couple contingencies, and one of which was like, I don't have to start paying for like three months or something like that. Yeah, but that's for uh, building out. Yeah, for building out. Right. So I was like, yeah, but I'm not paying rent yet. And they're like, well, we'll put you on the fast track because like a lot of these people are talking about things that want to open in two years and you're talking about something so you're about three, to start paying for. Yeah. Uh, luckily, I opened a restaurant in a like inert locker room on the side street in New Orleans that was the same price as my apartment in rent. So right. that So it wasn't like the end of the world. I could literally go back to being, uh, you know, try to be a high, higher paid chef at a restaurant and be able to kind of carry the weight of the lease if I had to. But you don't but want it, to do that. Yeah. The dumbest thing ever. Uh, so while I worked very, very closely with a person on how to write a business plan, and I'll talk about how the most important part of your business plan is your pro forma, which is the projected numbers. That's right. what the bank really wants to see. Um, I... Uh, work closely. So I never ended up securing a load from a bank because of this plan. But writing it was so important for me to understand yeah. how I was going to run a business, not just a kitchen. Right. How so long did I it take was, you to write the business plan? Uh, like, you know, between two and ten hours a day for like six weeks. But it's the, a real, for my second like restaurant, job. it took me like eight hours. Really? You're like, I'm less. just going to bang this out? It was out. like writing a paper for school because I had a template from the last time, and I wasn't learning what I was writing as I was writing it. I was just reutilizing what I knew was true and yeah. what was actually representative of the business I opened. Right. Um, and it's like, so business plan is like, you know, like your goals, your objectives, how you're going to do those things, how you're going to convince the bank that the place runs and like a, you know, a sample of your uh, schedule for the staff and how those numbers represent the labor costs that you're making up for the bank. And the thing is, none of those things are actually true because it doesn't exist because right. you don't have a business yet. And your second business, you can very easily plug in the numbers from your first business, plus or minus the new cost of what you think your new restaurant is, and it's way easier. The first time around, it is all guesswork. And yeah. it's not, I don't think you're wrong if you're guessing when you do No, it. I mean, everybody has to guess. You don't know because it doesn't exist. And I, we, we do projections for our business all the time, and it's still like, we're oh, guessing. Oh, yeah, I guess way wrong for number two. 
Did you? Interesting. I thought it was me rich by now. <laughs> I, got, I got no money. None. That's zero. true for being a business I'm owner, zero dollars. <laughs> I love it. Well, so you didn't answer. So how did you get the money? Oh, yeah. So I got the money uh, from my dad and my friend's mom. Okay. There you go. <laughs> uh, but, but, friends and family. But that's very true for like what you and like most people end up going through friends and family because like you just said on opening day, the bank said no. Well, if you, the, the, the easiest way to get money from a bank is if they're convinced that you're going to succeed or that you're that you're good you're, you're the right person to receive a loan the most important thing unfortunately is to find a relative that is willing to put their house on the line for your business that's the thing and it's gross and it sucks and yeah. you don't, and no one can ask that I didn't ask risk. my parents you know yeah, like my mom has a small house in Virginia and I wasn't going to be like Hey mom, put up your house. It's just too weird. It's just too yeah. fucked up. And even like if it's a loan where you're, it's you know only, let's say it's like five hundred bucks a month to pay it back. You can go get a job and carry the weight of that loan without ever, any anyone that put up their collateral ever having to deal with it. But it's just you can't ask them. That we can't. Yeah, that's. Um, but for business number two, that one you were able to debt finance. So for business number two, I got an SBA loan. And that is the most adult thing I've ever done. <laughs> uh, Welcome to crazy. being and an that adult. Covered the entire the build whole thing. Out. Uh, well, Turkey and the Wolf had amassed what I like to think of as a small fortune, <laughs> and I spent one hundred percent of it nice. on Molly's uh, buying like extra unnecessary shit because I was like, "This is so fun to buy all this stuff." <laughs> um, so I went into Molly's with none of my money left, but plenty of the bank loan to as working capital to get us through. Um, the first year, but everything I projected was like way different because it's just a different business. How did how how long did it take for Turkey and Molly's to become profitable? Turkey was really fast. I opened Turkey and the Wolf for like eighty thousand dollars. Wow, that's wow. build out. That's opening booze and food costs. Did you DIY that's a lot thing. of it? Uh, like do it so I DIY the contracting sort of. So what you pay a contractor to do is to like, and this is part of why it. Um, took me so fucking long yeah um is they subcontract out someone to fix your air conditioner right. uh they subcontract out a plumber mm -hmm. electrician and mm -hmm. someone to do all the woodwork usually like contractor like this company it's does all the, the mill work right? yeah yeah and uh you pay a bunch of money to have them do that and um what I did is I just was like, okay, I'll get a plumber and I'll get an electrician and I'll get a HVAC guy and I'll have a contractor who's, I'm just paying him to do the mill work rather than to align everyone's schedules. And it turns out all these people only really answer calls from the contractor. the contractor and I couldn't get anyone on the phone. I couldn't get my contractor on the phone. Like sometimes I'd say, Hey, let's get this done. And like, we'll be there tomorrow. And like, 10 days would go by and then we would, <laughs> like and I would you just be like having like a you know, <laughs> meltdown. Um, but like for me, it was just a very low, low risk situation Right, is I got the money from my old man and my friend's mom with her. I had a, um, like a real note and everything through my accountant. And we should really talk about accountants after that. But, um, <laughs> So, like, I had a legit loan from her. And then with the old man, he was like, fucking don't fuck this up and give me the money back. <laughs> and then we did that, you know? Um, and he didn't have a lot. Like, he's had ups and downs. But at the time, it was like, he, he had to, like, really, it really sucked for him to help me yeah. that time. Um, That's a beautiful thing, but you paid him back. Yeah, I know. And he eats for free, you know? He lives in New Orleans. He's always there, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, he's awesome. Um, thanks, Dad. Thanks, Shout out Dad. to Dad. What's up? You're going to listen to a podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, do we do we get somewhere That's there? Should yeah. I add some shit? Tell us about accountants. What, what, uh, why, are you, why are we scared of accountants, or what do we need to look for? The number one most important thing I've done in my career, next to being lucky and getting the, the people that I, that I have working side by side with me, is hiring accountant, the right accountant. Where did you find your quote unquote right accountant? And my did you friend, hire the wrong accountant first? And no. Okay. I hit the fucking jackpot. <laughs> my accountant rocks the house. Uh, so, um, my friend Via was running a restaurant um, 
we could talk about Via's influence on the restaurant a lot. She's been very helpful. Um, but she was running a restaurant, and she was like, hey, man, don't open a restaurant without using CFO OneSource, which is the name of my accounting, I guess you call it a firm, I don't know, group of people. Right. And um, I walked in there with my, you know, to, like, interview and be like, hey, I want to open a restaurant. And she's, the accountant scared the shit out of me. She was like, so how many people are you going to do? What's the price of the food? You know, like, she she assumed that I understood how much food costs and labor costs should be, and uh, percentage-wise. And she goes, if you do what you just said, you will fail. And I was like, fuck. Wow. <laughs> uh, that's crazy. I thought that would be fine. Reality, it's like, she's yeah. like, you got to realize, like, this is not just, you know, you just being good at cooking. And um, her being scary and showing me, like, hey, you know, you have to do it this way was really, really important. And then when we opened, they do everything. I don't know anything about finances <laughs> or anything. And I'm, like, three years in, two restaurants in. I don't know any of that shit. They, they do it for me. It's awesome. I mean, we talk about this a lot as, like, you know, outsourcing or, like, finding the right partner to let you focus on what you're good at and having them focus on, you know, the numbers and then this and then that. So then they were instrumental in helping you with Molly's, I assume, too. Yeah, and they just... So I think the key is to find an accountant that does multiple restaurants. Yeah. Uh, our accounting... I don't know. I keep on, I think firm. I'll just call them an accounting firm. For yeah. Uh, our accounting firm only does restaurants and does, like, 40. That's a lot. And it's like, you know, it's a group of like 15 people. So they're. Are they focused only in New Orleans or? Yeah, they're only in New Orleans. Um, so yeah, if, if this was, you know, if this was just a New Orleans podcast, I'd say everyone run to CFO and hire them. Um, but I could ask them probably, you know, yeah. whatever. But they, uh, you know, they can say things like, you know, you guys buy beef from that guy across town from the exact same place and they're paying less. And you're like, dang. Oh, shit. Oh, Bob, that's, you fucked up, Bob. That is so crazy. That's, um, that's actually, like, super that's helpful. Or they, yeah. can, say, they yeah. can say, hey, uh, American Express processor dude, we got 30 restaurants we'll sign on if you can give them a better rate. Right. You know? So they, they got the power numbers and they have... And just they they have the answers to everything because they've seen it all before because I have forty restaurants that are going through ups and downs constantly. Yeah. And if you are wondering like how you're doing, they're not going to tell you any information about another restaurant like what they're they're doing, but they'll say everyone's having a tough time this month. Like you are okay, or they'll say no one's having a tough time this month. You guys are doing something wrong. Right. That's actually super helpful, like benchmarking against other people in your industry because it is like there are natural ebbs and flows in businesses, and like there are times that are going to be down and scary. But it's like so helpful to know that other people are going through it too. A good accountant, man, or just one that you can trust with everything is. Um, it's just so good for your stress and your. But I think the idea of an account that food. actually has a bunch of other restaurants that so you're right. like gauging yeah. consistently yeah, what's it. going on in the industry. Yeah, that's a good I would never unless they went out of business. I would never open another restaurant in New Orleans without that. Yeah. Situation. Let's take a super quick break, and we'll come back with more with Mason. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box, helping restaurants own their presence, profits, and relationships directly through their website. In the Garden District neighborhood of New Orleans, Kristen and Michael serve contemporary Southern cuisine in a two-story building that was built in the 1880s. The restaurant, Coquette, opened in 2008 as a neighborhood gathering place. It is celebrated for its vibrant menu, gracious service, and Southern hospitality. Coquette is one of 5,000 restaurants that drives high margin revenue directly through their website, thanks to Bento Box. Visit getbento.com slash opening soon today to get 50% off of your new website setup fee. Join Heritage Radio Network on Monday, November 11th for a raucous feast to toast a decade of food radio. Our 10th anniversary Bacchanal is a rare gathering of your favorite chefs, mixologists, storytellers, thought leaders, and culinary masterminds. We'll salute the inductees of the newly minted HRN Hall of Fame, who embody our mission to further equity, sustainability, and deliciousness. Explore the beautiful Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe, taste and imbibe to your heart's content, and bid on once-in-a-lifetime experiences and tasty gifts for any budget at our silent auction. Tickets available now at heritageradionetwork.org gala. 
We're back uh, and we're chatting with Mason Herford from Turkey and the Wolf and Molly's in New Orleans. Um, we wanted to talk a little bit about that we did in, in the first half about how um, some of the accolades that you have won or reluctantly won, I'm not sure. Overrated. How they've kind of changed and shaped what your businesses have become and who you've, how you've changed. How, yeah. Yeah, I think it's it sucks that being on lists that uh, can can really really put you in the best position to succeed but it turns out it's true. <laughs> um, were those things you were that you were not like calling Andrew Knowlton or like submitting no. <laughs> Funny. you know your friends or did you have <laughs> a PR Nolton. company like how did Love that guy. Uh, he he was like knocking on the door the day he came to interview us after I guess Bonatip's calling and saying there's someone coming to interview you. We know there's some article. Uh, they told us there's an article and that he's going to come interview us for some article. And then he, uh, he like, it's 10 minutes before we open or maybe an hour before we open the restaurant. So the door's like, front door's locked. And he's like knocking on the door. And everyone in the kitchen's like, who's that guy? And I was like, well, there's this guy, Andrew, who's supposed to come like talk to us today. <laughs> and we're all like, is that him? And we all had to like look on our phones and be like, I don't know. He looks kind of like skinnier. I don't know if that's him. I don't think we should let this guy in. And then uh, he was like, Later in the day, uh, he's like, so did you know I was there that first time? I was like, bro, we didn't know who you were five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> he probably that. loved that, though. Um, I feel like, yeah. Yeah, so the first time, he, he made an Instagram post that said, you know, this sandwich is awesome or whatever. And then I, I wasn't a follower of his at the time, so my brother texted me. He's like, dude, this is important. Because my brother is a photographer, and he has worked in, in the food industry a little, so he just knows about the people who are important in magazines. And he was like, this is big, dude. Like, that's awesome. That guy ate there. And I was like, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, if Andrew Nolan were to walk into my restaurant now, I'd fucking know who he was. Yeah. It changed my life, you know? Right. Um, and when Julia Kramer was in town um, recently, she does the list now. Um, when I saw that she had posted something, like, on the way to New Orleans, I emailed the staff or texted the staff. Like, I, I was going out of town or on my way back into town. And I was like... Just make sure you look out for her and, uh, you know, go talk to her and just make her feel at home or whatever you want to do or pretend like you didn't see her or whatever, whatever you think is the most strategic way to get her um, happy. Uh, and then we became a little bit of friends through the process the first time. So I direct messaged her like, hey, I'd love to go get a drink while you're in town. She was pregnant, so I drank, but she was hanging. <laughs> and so we went and got tacos and then I was like, so you're going to come to Molly? She was like, oh, I went today. And it was before I had written the email. So she did it oh, again. Oh, shit. They got you and again. Then, you know oh, what no. she said? She goes, I go, oh, what'd you have? And she goes, I think I got something you probably would have told me not to order. And that's all she said. I was uh, like, shit. Shit. Oh, shit. Oh, no. We fucked up. You're not going to be on any list. No one's going to like us. But then you're uh, on the list. We were, we were on the, the big, the 50 list. The 50 list, list which huge. is huge. That was huge. I was yeah. like praying for it. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, they do in New York, and which you guys should look into is that every back of the house has yeah. photographs of every single editor that could possibly come in. So but it's not. That's. I don't think. I think people. <laughs> the people that we get in the restaurant to work with us would be like, "That's lame. I'm not gonna look at that." <laughs> I agree. I mean, I think yeah. that like you know, from a business owner standpoint, that every single person should get the best experience. Exactly. You can possibly it's give. unfortunate that right. it doesn't always work that way. Reality. Yeah, <clears throat> but. Um, yeah, you know, everyone, the VIP thing is everybody gets, you know, it's just hard. I remember I staged at Bar Tartine when that was a restaurant, the world's most influential restaurant that doesn't currently exist in my opinion. <laughs> um, I staged there, it was fucking terrifying. Um, but I I soaked in some stuff, and I, they had me working at a station. It was like a two-person garmentier station. They, I wasn't like totally in charge of it because I was only there for three days and it was my first day of work. But they had me doing stuff and like dressing, you know, whatever, seasoning, whatever I was doing. And Dominique Kren came and sat at the bar. And they were like, hey, Dominique, I guess they're like friends. And she's very, very important uh, in my opinion. And, <clears throat> you know, I was fired on a dish. I put up the dish. The chef took the dish, put it down in front of Dominique Kren. And I was like... I am amazed that you didn't tell me where that was going. Like, they actually <laughs> lived that thing. Like, right. you know, VIP, mm -hmm. like, make the food right every time. And I was like, holy shit. I hope I did that right. 
I imagine I wouldn't have done it any different. I was so far out of my league at that restaurant. But, uh, <laughs> I was just like, wow, they didn't even tell me. That's fucking nuts. Yeah. And they didn't look like they looked at it any harder than any of the other dishes that went out. I, I mean, but like, that's amazing. That was a transformative experience. It's carried it, I mean, through to like your day to day now. I've, I've probably told that story three or four times long over the years. Like that, I, I was very impressed that that's how yeah. that went down. I mean, that's how it should be. Like every so, everybody who goes to Turkey and well, if you are a VIP, just remember that. Um, Getting the real experience. Yeah, Turkey. Oh, we, there was that thing we were talking about the line. You want to go back to that? Yeah. Let's do it. We don't oh. have a fucking line at Turkey in the Wolf. Oh, sorry. Please show up. <laughs> <laughs> so people, uh, I'll, I'll run into people, and they'll be like, oh, you know, we're in town. We want to come to Turkey in the Wolf. Like, is there a time we can go? We know there's always a line out the door. It's like, oh, there's so a line out the line door out like the door. three months of the year for one hour at lunchtime. So you, you come at, you come after 2 o'clock any day, you could, there, there's potentially you'd be the only person in that joint. Um and I think this happens to a lot of restaurants that get overhyped, like we did our first year. Um, that your own like fake success will make it seem like your restaurant is unattainable just to walk right. into. And you know, at least drive by. If you drive by, there's a line. There's your answer. If there's no, <laughs> if there's no line at Turkey and the Wolf, you order, you will have food in front of you in like three minutes. And the line like moves it's really built fast. For speed. The line fast. moves fast. Yeah. They're built for the speed. Lo- I mean, unless the line. All right. So here's the deal. The, the the terrifying line out the door scenario that no one wants to wait in. Our order counter is like 12 feet from the door. <laughs> so if there's, if there's a line out the door and it's only two people out the door, that means there's eight people in line. <laughs> so it's not, you know line out the door uh at the beginning i'm we sorry i said there was a line out the door oh no i don't i, I just think it's fun to talk about yeah it is i'm just trying to be rich and i ain't there yet you know <laughs> no, it makes sense. it's popular Go. but it's very attainable <laughs> i like that but in the season <laughs> i'll just like, keep up with the new tagline for you busy, i'm also coming out of the four month long stretch of summer which yeah. is the Slow. just horrible time in new orleans and i think my accountant says it's very normal that a lot of restaurants hardly break even or even lose money and Turkey and the Wolf broke even and it's a very popular restaurant and Molly's being its first year lost money in the, the four month stretch of summer um, and so I'm I'm like desperate for the line right? yeah. <laughs> in, in this moment so please but, go and know, see our friend Mason at Turkey uh, and the Wolf and make it their line during <laughs> Jazz Fest when New Orleans is back to the gills we will actually have a line all day, like right. the good old days. But coming out of summer, it's like you just, you've forgotten all the right, um, all that stuff. But yeah, it's October now. Everything's going to be great. Yeah, <laughs> Halloween time in New Orleans. It's so fun. So all the weirdos come out and yeah. eat sandwiches and breakfast. Hell right. yeah! And you can always like direct. I feel like you're so active on Instagram. I feel like people probably direct message you all the time and are like, "Is there a line? Can I come?" Blah blah. Yes and no. Yeah, I, I mean. I don't know. I'm not always the best at responding. Yeah. All right. Well, so don't direct message him. Just show but up. But like maybe that's the bottom line. Maybe when we hit it, number. when we really hit it big, and I like pay somebody else to do the Instagram. Yeah. They'll answer everything. They'll answer. <laughs> I love it. Dream big. Dream big. Yeah. Um, the other thing I just want to quickly talk about before we go into lightning round is you know so you got the accolades. You had a lot of natural PR around that. You don't have P- you don't. You- I just hired PR last month for Molly's. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. That's a, uh, what was the impetus for doing that versus not having done it before? I want Molly's to make as much money as Turkey and the Wolf. And um, we did not... So we had a couple big things that we were working on, and as of right in this moment, don't want to talk about it. But we did not get granted our liquor license um, because the neighborhood didn't didn't want that. And that's a very long conversation, but it's not, not a, staying positive here. And then the other thing was we have to generate figure out new ways to generate income because we built our second restaurant quality of life for employees over profits and that turned out to be for a restaurant with a higher rent and a bigger staff something that was an actual commitment and so we want to make more money uh so that everyone can continue to be able to afford to live in the expensive neighborhood where our restaurant is um so i hired pr yeah Right, because now you don't have the revenue from liquor license. Yeah, that you and had Turkey and the Wolf, like, you know, it, it was it, it was just like the perfect scenario, and it we, yeah. we got natural PR, and we got more. It seems like we got more PR than people that paid for PR, and um, that was amazing. And I think part of 
our success with the journalists was that we didn't have it and right. that we weren't looking for it. And right. when someone would email me and be like, hey, could we interview for an article? And, I, and you just write back, fuck yeah, here's my cell phone number. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, it was a little refreshing to them at the time. Yeah. Uh, and I... You know, I didn't at the beginning. I didn't know that it was useful, but definitely started playing it up once I saw that they were saying like, "Oh, good answer, I'll be there." Um, and you know, it just you can't call a magazine and say, "Hey, I have an idea for a story." It just doesn't work. Yeah, you got to have somebody true. else who knows the people that work in the magazine. Right. Do it. Yeah, you have. And to we have things it. we want to say, and we want we want a platform to say them. So. Yeah, and you're also busier now. You have two restaurants, and it's a time commitment. And I mean, and one thing that I do want to talk about too is that you are doing. You're here because you did a collaboration dinner with Simon and the Whale last night here in Mm -hmm. New York, and it seems like you're, you know, always doing these collaboration things to sort of help tell the story. Like, tell me about about that aspect. Yeah, so traveling and cooking with other chefs has turned out to be something that I absolutely love, but first five times I did it, it was enough. It was like clinically anxious, terrified. Uh, and it starts to get easier and easier. And then it turns out to be like one of the coolest parts of my job. You don't, you don't, the whole idea is no one, no one's getting paid. Uh, somebody pays for your flight and your food and you sell restaurant, sell food in their restaurant or work together to make a dish and sell it at their restaurant. Generally the profits that they get, everyone's kind of just breaking even. Maybe the restaurant makes a little bit of money. Um, and then they pay for your hotel too. And then everyone goes out to dinner, everybody parties. It's just so fun. And what's cool for us is, um, we try to just book the ones where you get to bring at least one person, sometimes two. Uh, sometimes I'll just suck it up and pay for a second, a third, uh, me plus the second. Um, because it's just such a strong incentive like it just keeps everybody so happy to get the chance to go on a trip and cook with other people, meet new chefs, learn new things. And it's a way that you can take these people that are trying to be the, you know, something bigger in our industry and uh, learn from, you know, your peers or your, even your people that you look up to. Um, so yeah, traveling and collaborating fucking rules. <laughs> Smart. Should we jump in uh, lightning round? Sure. Let's do it. Uh, best part about being your own boss? Do you have any quick answers or you can elaborate if you prefer? Um, yeah, not having to like ask to do shit. Like we did, uh, I'll just sit here and brag for a second. Uh, we did, uh, <laughs> we did this awesome fundraiser. Um, seven buddies and myself put on like, uh, we copied the one here, the bake sale here. Yeah. And we did when we raised, uh, we raised forty thousand dollars for um, that's amazing. That's amazing. Planned Parenthood, uh, Gulf Coast, and the New Orleans Abortion Fund. That's crazy. And yeah, there was a pretty big uproar in the Right for Life community that we are terrorists that want to kill future foodies. <laughs> what they said. Um, wow. And that's not realistic, and that's not true. But a lot of restaurants that had partners or had bosses, they all said yes, and then they were like, their boss had to be like, "Hey, we're getting a ton of flack on this. People are." are kind of scaring us we have to pull out you know and I don't I don't agree with that decision but I don't you know I'm not going to judge anybody for that I understand if somebody's being scary and an asshole you don't want to deal with it you just pull out of the situation um, but I loved that I didn't have to worry about that right because I don't give a fuck about those people that are threatening to pick it outside my restaurant or not come to my restaurant because of my view that I consider very very important um, so being your own boss is cool because you don't have to worry about someone being like, you should have done that. I mean, that's even, you know, part of being, having few investors, basically family makes that a little bit easier too. I think a lot of times investors and paying off the investors can be in the same yeah. way, you know, and the bank. Yeah. The bank bank's never fun to deal with, but, uh, they can't boss you around once you have the money, unless, unless right. you don't pay. Right. That's true too. Uh, worst part about being your own boss. Um, giving a fuck is really hard and not giving a fuck is really bad <laughs> so hard that's so true yeah there's nothing worse than when like somebody doesn't give a fuck at your company or like in general is that what you mean or like yeah well you just you're, you're constantly worried about whether or not you're, you're you're doing the right thing but fuck it yeah I'm up What's the favorite thing on the turkey and the woofer Molly's menu right now? 
Oh, Molly's is way better than Turkey. And Lamb. I, I'd eat there. <laughs> I wouldn't even go to Turkey. It's overrated. Molly's isn't even rated yet. Um, Damn. Uh, Damn. Uh, uh, just kidding. Just, like that. What's that? Uh, just dropping shit the Creek shit boys. Creek boys like that. <laughs> uh, yeah. For you, for anyone that doesn't know what the Shit Creek boys are, don't worry about it. But if you do know, <laughs> shout out to my boys, the Shit, shit Creek boys. Um, the uh, favorite thing. A turkey and the wolf. The thing I eat the most is the cabbage salad. It's like a sort of a Thai Vietnamese oh, yeah, mashup I like that one. based on a, a dish here at Uncle Boone's, mm-hmm. uh, which is my favorite restaurant in the world. What's up, Uncle Boone's? Damn. Um, they don't. Uh, favorite restaurant know in the world. Me, wow. But I love them. Well, now. Uh, <laughs> no, they will I, now, I Mason. There, I go in there. That was such a like, little trip. poetic love letter. They don't every know trip I come to New York, and this is actually the first trip in like 15 where I didn't eat there. But I go straight to Uncle Boone's, put my name down, then I go to that Compagnie, whatever, uh, Duvins Natural, <laughs> I don't know, French natural wine place, and I sit there and eat the salt and salt and vinegar pistachios until my table's ready. I go to Uncle Boone's, I get like this 10 things that I love. I tell the server, hey, I'm that guy that always comes here and talks about how I have a restaurant <laughs> with a salad that's based on your salad. And they all go, oh yeah, we remember. And then that's it. <laughs> and then Here's like one out of every three times yeah, I get the, uh, why don't you the dessert do a, for free. Why don't you ask to do a collab with, it's Matt, right? And I don't know. I mean, I, I'm why not, don't you, you need to. I'm not, not going to sit here and fanboy. I'll, I'll fanboy on, <laughs> on the radio with you guys. I'm not going to go there and yeah. fanboy in person. <laughs> oh, I, I love it. Uncle Boone sandwich. I want to see an Uncle Boone sandwich. They just did something. I don't know what it is, but I read like a brief headline. They, they're doing something with uh, one of the Shake Shacks uh, just for like a month. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, you know. Okay, whatever. Seems cool. All right. What about what's your favorite business book or resource? Business book or resource, I'll say the one that everyone has to read, Setting the Table by Danny Meyer. You got to read it. Sorry. You have to. Yeah. I took like 10 pages of notes before Mm -hmm. I opened uh, Turkey and the Wolf, and it really helped me understand how I didn't know I felt. Um, Otherwise, just all the cookbooks. Mm -hmm. A lot of cookbooks. I like Michael Solomonov's book, Zahav. Yeah. I like that guy a lot. He's another one of my chef crushes. Who's amazing? Mike. Yeah. <laughs> I actually know him. Though. Yeah. Uh, one business resource that everyone should know about, and I think I feel like you kind of mentioned these. Accountant. Accountant. Um, but you also talked about the small business center in New Orleans, and like, yeah, accessing um, those. Things like look, really look, uh, look around for free resources because they actually exist. And uh, I am sitting here saying that it worked for me, and if. A really, really good example of how they can work is um, <clears throat> Pizza Delicious did uh, gave me that they gave me the uh, the recommendation to do that. Pizza Delicious is the best pizza place in New Orleans and is an incredibly successful treat their staff well joint, and um, they're a prime example of the success story that went through the free resources around them, secured a loan from a bank. Not for the their, first shop, for their first place, that's but they had uh, yeah, that's rare. They had run a successful pop up and had numbers. Yeah, so that helped. Still, there was no collateral. <clears throat> I don't know. Business. You'd have to ask yeah. them. Um, the collateral is the hard thing, but Pizza Delicious fucking rules, and they did it. They did it the real way. Like, and it, you can do it. It's just you got to keep trying until you know you're gonna get a lot of no's. You're gonna get a fuck ton of no's. That comes gonna, with yeah, but that's with any time you're going out to an investor, whether it's a bank or yeah. like friends and family or you know somebody else like institutional yeah and also you're gonna get so uh what's the word i'm looking for sorry i had a really long night uh (laughs) you're gonna get um defeated yeah defeated what's another word you're gonna feel defeated a lot i guess yeah um and it's gonna really fuck with you i I like got within three months of turkey and the wolf opening was having like real conversations in my head with myself about whether or not it was going to actually happen. Right. Like you can really, you got to like get past the anxiety and the fear of it. Cause it's real and it's like fucking debilitating. Yeah. Um, and I you just got to keep going. And it's scary. Like, the fear yeah. of the unknown is like the big thing. And, it's almost uh, like the Molly's it. time window was fast enough to where you didn't even have time to build up. Yeah, exactly. The fear before it opened. You had it, you had to do it. You didn't have a choice. And that's exactly. kind of the way it goes most of the time, I think. Once you've taken the investment, you've taken the lease, you've got the business plan. I feel like you... Yeah, you've got to soldier it, forward. Right? Yeah. 
Uh, mentor, inspirational leader in the industry. Uh, Dan Stein is his name. He uh, owns a sandwich shop three blocks from Turkey and the Wolf, and he is like just been an, just an incredible dude. Uh, he we opened a sandwich shop three blocks from his place that has mostly sandwiches. He also does breakfast. We opened a breakfast place three blocks, <laughs> two blocks on the other side of him that we serve breakfast. And then I talk to him and he tells me things. I'm like, you know, they're not coming in for breakfast on the weekdays. And he'll say like, dude, we've been selling a lot of salads. Like try putting a salad on the menu. I put a salad on it. Like he like literally is like helping me take his customers <laughs> because he cares so much. And he's such a great person. Like I, so I open a sandwich shop next to the, the, my favorite sandwich shop in New Orleans. And he's like, you know, I'm like, I don't know where to find the slicer I want. And he's like, I have a slicer. He like, got the parts for me he gave it to me and he said just pay me back when you start being profitable he's just a cool ass dude he's that's really awesome great. um Stein. oh yeah dan stein stein's De- delicate and then i like a lot of people i like chefs that i look up to their food and stuff but you know everybody has that yep cool um last one what's been your like biggest oh shit moment could be oh shit in a good way or in a bad way however you uh interpret oh, it oh shit Hmm. I don't know. Uh, the Bon app was was fucking nuts. Yeah. Uh, let's and then we'll do a bad one. Um. Oh, the the day after Bon app. <laughs> Why was it bad? Uh, we couldn't handle it. Uh, the day that, after, really? Yeah, the day that after fast. we closed. It was early. that fast. The next day. Holy uh, shit. The next day we closed early. The next day we closed early. And then we did have that line out the door that that you were talking about every day for probably like six months. And um, we we had like two coolers. We were having to like store things in like, you know, like coolers that you would take to the beach. And like uh, we had to cut our hours down uh, and... We figured it out. It took us like five days, and we were, we, were, we, were, we we turned it into the machine that could handle it. But for five days, it was crazy. And then there was backlash on the internet that a bunch of hipsters <laughs> with sandwich shop got fucking a accolade from Bon Appetit, and I had to read all the negative stuff, and that was really hard. <laughs> and I was like, shit. <laughs> Don't worry about the trolls. Trolling be no, trolling. Man, it's, uh, it's, trolls nice are gonna happen. To think that trolls are always gonna troll and. <laughs> Keyboard warriors will never get you down. Sometimes they just get you down. <laughs> Real talk about the internet. Um, all right, let's shout out some restaurants and bars that are opening soon. Anybody you want to shout out? Yeah, your future favorite restaurant will be opening very soon in New Orleans, and it is a American Chinese restaurant by my friends Bill Jones and Richard Horner. Cool. Uh, What's it it's called? One of, another one of those been coming soon for a long time projects. It's called Blue Giant. Oh yeah, They've been they were talking pop ups, right? Yeah. They, yeah, they done a pop up at yeah. Turkey and the Wolf. And we met them um, when we were in New Orleans last Christmas, and we did our pop-up there. Yeah. Another awesome restaurant to have on your radar that is a little further out is the people that own Cure and Canaan Table mm-hmm. are opening a, um, a taco place, lots of outdoor sort of big star vibes, um, for lack of a better, um, you know, whatever. Uh, but the chef's name is Fredo, Alfredo Noguera. He's a badass chef, and the place is going to be awesome. Uh, it's going to be on Ferret Street, an okay. old tiny gas station. They're completely taken apart, and it's super small. And I think it's going to be like the next, the next big, big restaurant in New Orleans. Mm, awesome. awesome, other than Blue Giant. Right. Cool. Um, I want to shout out that we have a product coming with Mason, which yeah, we're yeah, very nice. excited about. So we made an overall, and Mason was our official tester and inspiration. So I don't wear pants. He does not wear pants. He wears shorts, shorts or, or overalls. Not any pants right now. He is just here in his <laughs> flannel, and that is it. Um, but we're super pumped. So catch that. It's launching October 22nd, same day as this podcast. You'll be able to get it in three colorways, and they're sick. So they're we're excited. Awesome. Yeah. Chef approved. Chef approved. Chef Arals. Fun fact is that Michael Simon had come in. Like when, when we started this project, Michael Simon had come in and was talking about how Bobby Flay used to wear Chef Arals. So we're bringing it back and 10 times better. I love it. I don't know that I want to call him Chef Arals. I don't either. Chef overalls. overalls. Yes. Just overalls. I don't know why, but. 
What, how do you feel about the word? How do you feel? <laughs> chef overalls? Yeah. I don't like it. Okay. I'm with you. Good. Yeah. Chef overalls. We're on the same page, folks. We're on the same page. And then the only other one I want to shout out is the Fat Radish Townhouse is opening in Chelsea. So this is their first, uh, their second location in New York. And we made awesome. some really cool stuff for them. So I'm excited to see the whole space come together. Cool. Uh, thanks again, Mason. We're really stoked that you were able to share an hour with us while you're here in New York. Uh, we'll post a wrap-up of today's show on tillitnyc.com, and we'll also send one to your inbox, so make sure that you're on our email list. Um, where do we find you on social? Oh, uh, at Turkey and the Wolf and at Molly's Rise and Shine. Cool. And remember, there is not always a line. There is not a line. Please make sure uh, to go and get us. I like to amend. Please eat my restaurants. <laughs> please, please. Uh, if you enjoyed our episode today about breaking the mold and sort of doing things different, uh, especially in a city like New Orleans, then... Um, Tune in next week. We're having a conversation about elevating the experience of dining. Uh, and we'll be joined with Simon Kim from Coat in New York City, which is a restaurant that's elevated the entire experience around Korean barbecue. So we're excited for that one. Uh, follow us on uh, Heritage Radio. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere else you get your podcast. And on Instagram, where we are opening soon, and at Till at NYC. And don't forget to give us ratings and reviews and all that good stuff. Don't troll us. Don't troll us. <laughs> Fuck Thanks, trolls. guys. <laughs> Thanks. Opening soon is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You could also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.